welcome to an encouraging message from Pastor Kenneth Bent, an associate pastor here at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We are so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. The Lord is good, amen? So it's my privilege to get to talk to you today. So I'm going to talk to you about the book of Ephesians, and we're just kind of take, going to take a quick run-through of the book, and, uh, and I do mean run-through. And so, um, yeah, so Ephesus was a mighty city um, in the Roman Empire. It's uh, probably the third, second or third largest city um, in antiquity. Um, Within its environs, uh, inside the city had about 250,000 people there, and then many, many more outside the city, and um, thousands more in the, in the towns and villages around, and, and uh, no wonder Paul ended up there because uh, it was his habit to go to large centers and then to begin evangelizing within the Jewish synagogues. Um, I actually think I have a distant relative that was an archaeologist. I think his name is Theodore Bent, believe it or not. In the 1800s, he explored western rough Cilicia, which is on the border, and it's in Turkey, and uh, found a number of uh, places where Jewish synagogues had been established all through there. And the Jews were, were present in Ephesus at the time Paul went, um, they, from, from quite some time, Paul, uh, we have records of, uh, of uh, Jews uh, asking the Roman government for relief from, uh, from mandatory military service there. And of course, Paul went into the synagogue in his first uh, few weeks of, uh, and evangelized within the synagogue until they all got mad at him and disagreed with him and threw him out, and then he went next door, essentially. And from there, he taught the Word of God. And the Bible says the Word of God spread to all Asia Minor, and, uh, which is the Roman province of Asia Minor, um, this vast uh, network of cities and that sort of thing that uh, the Word of God spread to. As many, many churches were planted probably by Epaphras, um, as we read about him in the book of Colossians, and who went and evangelized all through there, all that region, and so Ephesus became a very influential church, um, pastored probably by Timothy, um, Paul's, uh, uh, Paul's uh, apprentice, so to speak, you know, and, uh, and then, of course, uh, we do have some, some idea that the Apostle John lived there, or the Elder John, who may be a different presbyter altogether. And uh, so possibly uh, John moved there with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and looked after her there. All of which, anybody who has traveled with Pastor Ron to that area, to the churches of Revelation, will have learned many, many wonderful things there. And we encourage you to take advantage of the opportunity to learn a lot about that. And so uh, Luke tells us in the, the book of Acts that... Um, uh, they began to evangelize in Ephesus, and he tells a story about how the Jews rejected him in the synagogue and how Paul moved next door. And then he doesn't give us all the details. He does say that there was a mighty growth of the word of God, of the gospel, to where 
Um, extraordinary miracles were happening through the hands of Paul and people were being healed and uh, the word of God was being preached everywhere and taught everywhere and uh, many, 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 many people were coming to Christ and uh, it, uh, Paul, uh, the scriptures tell us that uh, Luke talks about uh, these Jewish exorcists the, who were uh, the sons of a high priest uh, in that area and they... Um, not unlike the Ephesian uh, Gentiles, the Ephesian non-Christians around them, uh, resorted to magical, the use of magical papyri. In other words, they would write uh, special words. Uh, it's called the Ephesian grammata. And they would write on, on these special words on this papyri. And, and uh, they were supposedly to have uh, power to cast out demons and... Uh, the technical term for that is apotropaic literature, which means like to drive out. Um, and so uh, we see a lot of that happening. So they took upon themselves to cast out a demon, uh, demons out of a guy who, uh, you know, using the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. You remember reading that in Acts 19. And, and uh, Luke just describes this incredible story of how they tried to do that. And the demon speaks up and says, well, Jesus I know, and Paul, literally, I'm acquainted with. Interesting how the, there's a difference there in the Greek. Paul, I'm acquainted with, but who are you, right? And was it you, Pastor Ron, that preached a message on who in hell are you? And, and not, not a swear word or swear sentence, but in other words, like the demon is asking, well, how, how can you possibly have any authority? You don't actually know the Jesus that you're trying to, the, the name of Jesus. You don't actually know the person behind the name. You don't have any authority and power. And so they were overcome and stripped naked. And, and the, the news went all around. And everybody was in awe. And the word of God kept on growing, right? And uh, so Luke gives us a couple of those kind of things that indicate there was a mighty move of God that was happening. It's pretty exciting. Just to give you a little more background, so what I'm going to title this message is, is Sit, Walk, Stand, based on an old outline uh, of, uh, of uh, the book of Ephesians where uh, he talks us, tells us, Paul tells us that believers are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I want you to walk worthy of the vocation which you are called. And in Ephesians 6.10, he says, and 6.12 and following, he says, I want you to stand, therefore, having put on all of your armor. Amen. So sit, walk, stand. Just three positions that make a nice little outline of the book of Ephesians. There's many ways to look at it, of course. So as I said, about 250,000 in population. Here's some pictures that Brian Vincent actually took of Ephesus while he was there with uh, Pastor Ron. Uh, the first is, this is the Ephesian Colosseum, which uh, they tell us could hold up to 20,000 people. And uh, this is the view from the Harbor Road. Uh, the colonnade there was built uh, later than the time of the apostle. Uh, the, that was built around 383 uh, to 340-ish. Then the next picture is uh, just another picture of the Colosseum, a little bit up close. And so this was the place where the, the, everybody rioted, if you remember. So what had happened was the gospel was, so many people were coming to Christ and leaving behind uh, the worship of Artemis, who was like this uh, female goddess, 
And uh, we'll talk more about her in just a minute. But people had given up worship of that and had given up their magic arts and every other god that they were worshiping and had come to Christ. And so what had happened was the, the silversmiths who made these little votives, these little statues of Artemis of the Ephesians and sold them for a profit were losing money because people were giving up buying them. And they were coming and the people who sold the papyri and the people who sold the, the information about the magic arts and that sort of thing, they were losing money. So uh, they started rioting and there was a big riot that happened and they all gathered together and, and Luke uh, in a funny way says, you know, a lot of the people were there and they didn't know why they were there, but they were just joining in a riot. You know, there's a big, big crowds everywhere. It doesn't mean that people know what's going on, right? It's a crowd attracts a crowd, right? So anyway, they were all gathered together and, and uh, Paul had friends in the upper elite uh, class of the Ephesian uh, society and they were called Asiarchs. Asiarchs were like provincial rulers, people of high status, uh, not only in the Roman uh, culture, but also in the culture of Ephesus and its environs, and they were lead people, right? And Paul had some who were against him and some who were for him. And in fact, the, one of the city officials tried to convince Paul not to go into the theater, not to go to the Colosseum, even though they were rioting because it would cause a bigger riot. Well, Paul wanted to go in there so he could have an opportunity to tell the gospel, right? And so he does, and uh, they eventually had to whisk him away, and everybody was upset in the Colosseum, and for two hours they cried out, Luke tells us, great is, uh, many of your older Bibles will say Diana of the Ephesians. Diana is the Roman name for Artemis, who is the, the uh, Greek name of the, the goddess that's worshipped in, in the Greek New Testament. She's actually Artemis, but the translators sometimes change it to Diana because that's the Latin or Roman name for the goddess. Anyway, so that's the Colosseum. And then, uh, and then we also have the Library of Celsus, which was built around 100. So sometime after the, you know, about 40 years after the time of Paul, and uh, that was, re was one of the larger libraries in antiquity, had about 12,000 scrolls within it, and a uh, beautiful picture there. Now I want to show you a reconstructed view of the ancient temple of Artemis, which is not in existence. Um, most of the, uh, all of those columns and the materials within this ancient uh, temple were... Uh, were it was, dis, it, was, uh, it was deconstructed and the materials were imported elsewhere around the Roman Empire to build other things. But this is a recreation model of the size and the way, it was, uh, the, way the Temple of Artemis was. And it had many, many, many columns. Uh, thousands of worshipers could go. It was 450 feet long and 225 feet wide. So don't be deceived by the picture. 425 feet long. This was a massive, massive building, and Pausanias calls it, uh, a historian, he calls it uh, one of the seven wonders of the world. And actually, at one point, you know, they used to worship the emperors, right? They would worship Julius Caesar, they worshiped Augustus, uh, they, they worshiped these Caesars, and at one time, 
the worship of Augustus, Augustus's temple was inside the temple of Artemis, showing how prominent Artemis was even over the worship of certain Roman emperors. It was four times the size of the Parthenon in, Greek, in Greece, in Athens. So who was Artemis? She was a huntress. She was the goddess of fertility. She had signs of the zodiac across her chest, uh, indicating she was the queen of heaven and had authority in the spiritual realms. They had processions in uh, Ephesus twice a week to honor and to worship her. And uh, she also had uh, the Ephesian Artemis, because there were many different representations of Artemis throughout the ancient world, um, way back in antiquity. And she had a feature on, on the statue that looks like many, many, many uh, breasts, uh, these bulbous objects that are there. And at first glance, you think, well, that's just a representation of her fertility status or something like that. But then more recent research has shown that the Hittite Empire worshipped a female goddess upon whose statue were, were attached little sewn bags in which were curses and different prayers and different incantations and they were sewn together and then pinned on the goddess. And so this may be also what's happening with all of these bulbous objects. Of course, she was a goddess of fertility, and that is certainly there as well. So they contain papyri, magic papyri, prayers and curses. Um, Xenophon of Ephesus wrote a story called Ephesiaca in Kine Greek, which is dated to around the time of Paul, uh, that depicted uh, the worship of Artemis and the dress and culture of prominent elite families who supported and worked in the temple and were publicly lauded for doing so, and they had their daughters dress in procession, dressing like Artemis. They would often carry a bow and arrow. They usually had a dog with them. This was all part of the huntress idea, right? And um, they worked as tour guides. Uh, so people would come, thousands of people would come from all over the empire just to see the temple, to see the ongoing a worship of this goddess. And they had authoritative voices. Their intent was to repeat and to carry on the myths of Artemis, right? And so this probably forms the background of 1 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul encourages women to dress modestly, not with the braided hair, the golden hair, and dress of high-status Ephesian women, and priestesses carrying on the Artemisian myths. Not to assume an authoritative position over a male teacher or spiritual overseer. Simply because they were used to speaking from a place of authority in their pre-Christian lives. This gives us great insight into the real meaning behind uh, Paul's uh, discussion about women acting in authoritative positions and teaching a gathering of men. And then that, that cryptic scripture in 1 Timothy 2 where Paul says, nonetheless, they'll be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and sobriety. What on earth does that mean? Faith in childbearing. Well, you know, the older commentators will say, well, if the woman brings forth Christ in her life, 
then uh, she won't be under judgment and that sort of thing. But it just doesn't make any sense. But when you understand from things like Ephesiaca and, and the understanding of how these women in the Artemis temple would carry on the myths and, and project their own authority and, and, and just repeat and, and, and constantly demand the attention of anybody who was listening, think about those ladies, those, those people getting saved, coming out of this Gentile worship culture and coming into a gathering of believers. So Paul is giving them direction about how they're to act. They should not dress like high-status elite Ephesian women who are carrying on the Artemisian myths and speaking with authority in places of, uh, especially when men are gathered together. They, they should come and be humble and come into church and to the gathering of believers and exhibit Christ, right? And, uh, and be and dress modestly, not, not in this garb that attracts attention and not speak with undue authority, right? So this gives us a beautiful background understanding of what Paul is talking about. Now think about this, and that is, she shall be saved in childbearing. What's he talking about? Well, remember, Artemis is a goddess of fertility, and she's a goddess of fertility, so if, I give my, if I'm a young woman and I give my heart to Jesus, right, and I accept the gospel and Jesus comes into my life and I'm totally changed and I leave behind the worship of the goddess of fertility who guarantees me that I'm going to have babies and they're going to be fine and I'm going to carry on our family line when I get married, and yet, if I leave that all behind and give my heart to Christ, what will happen to me? Will Artemis be able to judge me and therefore make me barren because I no longer worship the goddess? Right? So they're motivated by fear. And Paul says, you're going to be okay in childbearing if you're modest and you love Jesus and you're not continuing on in pagan worship, the Lord's going to look after you. You're going to be saved in childbearing if you continue in godliness, right? So doesn't that open our eyes a little bit to a little more? It's maybe not the whole squeeze, but it gives us a really interesting insight into the thing. So, you know, how important is the Word of God to us? The Bible says the Word of God spread to all Asia, Paul was just teaching daily in the house of Tyrannus. And the word of God spread. He was teaching the Bible. The Bible is powerful. Amen? And, and you know, he's teaching from the Old Testament, of course. The New Testament hasn't been written yet. And he's teaching the, the truths about Jesus, how Jesus is the Messiah, how he died for our sins, was buried and rose again, commanding them to repent and come to Christ to turn their lives around, to leave behind idols. You know, like uh, Pastor Marcus has no doubt been talking about the Thessalonian church, you know. Listen, how you turn to, from, from idols to serve the living and the true God. Well, this is happening all over the Roman Empire because of the power of the gospel. We have to remember this simple message of the gospel is powerful. So how, how important is the word of God to us? You know, there's... Uh, Codex Sassoon, which is an Old Testament codex, 
that predates Codex Leningradiensis, a Hebrew codex, one of the oldest, com uh, almost complete copies of the Hebrew text. It predates it by a, a, a nearly 900 years, I think. No, 100 years, I'm sorry, 100 years. And Sotheby's auction house is going to auction it off. It's been in private hands. 30 to $50 million for a copy of the Hebrew text of the Old Testament that dates back to about 900 A.D. How important is the Word of God to us? Somebody's willing to pay millions of dollars just to hold this old text in their hands. How important is the Word of God to us? Paul only was there for like two and a half to three years, which was the longest time he'd spent anywhere, pretty much. So mighty is the gospel, so powerful is the word of God that when the Ephesians came to Christ, they burned 50,000 days worth of these Ephesian magical papyri. They, the word of God was powerful, and it was important to them. They were willing to give it all up just for a taste of the true Jesus. Amen? So this massive revival lasted three years, and uh, there was these big riots and everything else. Paul wrote, it was not without cost, this mighty revival, and we're going to get to the word in just a second. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 1.8, he said, We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. And he talks about how being in Ephesus was like fighting with wild beasts. Probably an allusion to ad bestium, which uh, to the Roman Empire meant uh, people in the Colosseums, and then they would release these wild beasts from everywhere, and people would watch them die, essentially. But Paul says, and more recent scholarship identifies the beasts at Ephesus with the worshipers of Artemis who opposed him. So talking about some themes in Ephesians, salvation by grace through faith in Christ. Amen. For by grace are you saved, right? That not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Amen. You know, a number of Paul's epistles can be pretty much easily divided up into two segments. One is the imperatives, and the other is the indicatives. So Paul normally starts out with the indicatives. What, is that? what do I mean by that? Truth statements. Statements of truth concerning who believers are in Jesus, Right? So we have indicative statements in the first, they say three chapters of the book of Ephesians. These are truth statements. You have been saved. You have been forgiven. You are redeemed through the blood of Christ. You're no longer servants of the old. You're, you're a child of God. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. These are all actually in, in Greek. They're in the indicative mood, right? They're in a truth statement mood. So Paul goes on and then... then 
the conversation that he's writing turns from just all of this beautiful understanding of who we are in Christ. And then it turns from chapter 4 to chapter 6 in Ephesians for what we should do. These are the imperatives. So you find many of the Greek imperatives, which are command statements, right? So because you're in Christ, it says, therefore, walk, right? Because you're in Christ, husbands, love your wives. Because you're in Christ, wives, love your husbands. Because you're in Christ, children, obey your parents. Servants, obey your masters. Masters, treat your servants right. Because you're in Christ, do these things. Amen. And I'm going to, I'm going to, give a little fire for Pastor Ron's sermon this, in the second service today. He's going to talk about the importance of doing stuff for the Lord, not just believing only. Amen? And uh, show me your faith by your works. Amen. So the true statements, hey, who we are in Christ, we're forgiven, redeemed, delivered from the old life. We've received grace the love of God, redemption, forgiveness, salvation, reconciliation. There are 33 then imperatives in the Greek in Ephesians. Some of them are put it, walk in unity, put off the old, put on the new, put on the armor, sit, walk, stand. The truth statement is we're seated with Christ, as I mentioned, Ephesians 2 6, we're raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. This is the place, essentially, of the warfare, right? There's a lot of warfare going on in the heavens. Christ says we're exalted with him, we're higher, but it's in the same heavenly realms where all the enemy attacks, right? And we're raised up together with Christ. So he says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. This is a prison epistle. Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And he says, stand strong in the full armor, ready to share the gospel. Ephesians 6, 10, 11. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Stand therefore having fastened on the, the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and shoes for your feet having the readiness uh, given, put, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. He talks about, listen, stay in unity, no matter the background or status. The beauty of it is Jesus was reaching every level of society within the environs of Ephesus. Every level, the poor, the Gentile, the Jew, the Roman soldier, the high status leadership within the city. The gospel reaches everywhere. Don't ever be intimidated by people that you stand in front of and you know that you're trying to tell them about Jesus. Don't be intimidated by their status in society, whether it's a low status or a high status, right? It doesn't matter. The gospel needs to save everybody. And we need to tell everybody, amen. Jesus wants to save their soul. So don't be afraid to share Christ, right? Somebody that's, you know, 
higher status than you, got more money than you, drives a better car than you, they still need Jesus. Amen? Somebody that's walking the street somewhere, downtown Beaumont, they need Jesus. It doesn't matter. If they're in prison, they need Jesus. It doesn't matter. The gospel can reach them all. And here's the beauty of it. God says through Paul to the Ephesians, the Lord is making one new man. He's taking Jew and Gentile in Christ, putting them together into one new man. It is highly significant that when Paul writes the, the, the epistle to the Ephesian church, that he addresses individual groups. So he talks to, he talks to whom? He talks to husbands. He talks to wives. This is unheard of in antiquity. You, you, in the Roman uh, ethos, in the Greek ethos, you don't talk to the women, right? It's only the men who are supposed to be in charge. But Paul looks way beyond that concept and addresses even children and encourages the children, even to those who are owned by others for, for work, normally household-type work, uh, the servants, and those who own them. He addresses both levels, right? Both, no matter what their status is. A woman, a child, a husband, a, a servant, a, a slave owner, anybody. He, he talks to them and he says, look, I know you used, some of you used to be thieves. And, you know, the, they had to guard the temple, right? The reason they had to guard the temple because it wasn't just worship going on there. The temple of Artemis was also a bank, and they made money there. It was also a mint, and it was a place of asylum for foreigners who were seeking naturalization. They were seeking citizenship. They could go to the temple grounds, and it would be an asylum for them until they could obtain legal status within society. It, 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 the, the temple of Artemis served multiple functions. And so they, no wonder money was involved. No wonder whether they got mad. And, and, and another thing is, they were made the temple, yeah, Ephesus was made the temple warden of Artemis. What that meant was they got a whole bunch of money from the Roman government to build it up and to make it big and to, and to fund shops and places where they could worship the other emperors and that sort of thing. All that came from the Roman government because Ephesus had the honor of being named as a temple warden. So money was big, right? No wonder Paul says, you used to steal stuff, but now you're not going to steal anymore. You used to get angry, now put off anger. You need to love one another because we're all now part of the new Israel of God, so to speak. Amen? the power of the gospel to go across societal status. Talks about family. Another theme is Trinity. We see in the early chapters, Paul talking about, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about the Father. He talks about Messiah Jesus. And many times he talks about the power of the Holy Spirit. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. You received a, a, um, the aravon, the, uh, what is that, down payment? Down payment, 
Earnest, right. There you go. Thank you. The earnest of your inheritance in Christ through the Holy Spirit. So in other words, when we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into us. We, we know we're the children of God by faith, and we can sense his presence in our lives. We experience the change that's happening, that he's working in our hearts and our lives, and that's the down payment of our eternal inheritance, right? I know that I shall see my Redeemer. Why? Because I've received the Holy Spirit and his presence into my life, and he is the, the earnest, the, the down payment the stamp and seal that I'm a child of God. Amen? And he says, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. How? By speaking to yourselves, to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is unpremeditated songs. Songs that are just free. You're in your spirit. they just new songs. That's how you keep on being filled with the Spirit. And that whole spirit-filled life gives you the ability to submit to one another in the fear of God and, and husbands to love your wives, etc., etc. In Christ, of Christ. In Christ occurs 13 times. Of Christ, 11 times. Holy Spirit referred to 12 times. Power, four times. Strength, three times. What a beautiful, beautiful message the Lord has given us in the book of Ephesians. So I hope I've encouraged you to read it. <laughs> Listen to it. You know, get the version Bible out and select like the NIV or, you know, a version that has a little speaker beside it, you know. And when you go to Ephesians chapter 1, 1, there will be a little play, little arrow at the bottom of your screen. You can click on that and you can listen to the audio. Drive your car. Listen to the word of God. Amen? The Lord is good. He loves you today. And uh, how powerful is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the word of God that you gave to Paul and commissioned him to tell the story. Thank you for the work you did in Ephesus and all the churches in Asia Minor. Thank you for those who gave their life. Thank you for Paul's suffering as a result of the gospel. Thank you for those who gave their hearts and lives for, for the sake of the gospel and who today are giving their lives in Africa and in India and all around the world, laying down their lives in Burma, Lord, in China, Lord. Oh, Lord, I love you. and I pray the Holy Spirit's presence will go with us and You'd inspire us to learn more about the Bible and to read the Bible and experience the Bible. Give us a hunger for your word. Thanks again for joining us for that powerful word from Pastor Kenneth Bent. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive many more encouraging messages from our pastors and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.